Before I begin, let's ask the Lord's assistance in the preaching of the word. Holy Father, ask now that you would guide my heart. Give me clarity of thought, and may nothing be said that isn't your word. We pray that your saints will be encouraged and that sinners will be called to salvation. Glorify your Son now. We ask that he be lifted up. May they see only him. We ask it in the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. I'm getting up in years. I'm only 70 years old, but I've been doing some preaching now for some time. And I have to tell you that it is still, whenever I get ready to preach, it is still a, a scary thing for me. It is something that I fear that I would not do it according to the Lord's will. And so that is why I pray each time for, for help. And I want you to receive the word of God. I want you to understand that this is his message. It's not mine. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a servant. And so please hear the word of God this morning. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is a special book. It is a book filled with uh, apocalyptic visions. And every time we use the word apocalypse, many times people say, oh, it means catastrophe. No, it just means visions that must be interpreted. And there's many things to be learned from this. We have been promised if we read through this book, we will be blessed. And I know that I have, and I'm praying that God will bless you too. However, with this requirement to interpret many things comes the burden of saying, am I right? And so, as I've promised before, I will usually, you know, I will tell you when I'm giving you my opinion. There will be some parts of this message that are in my opinion, and I'll let you know which parts they are. But for the most part, when I go through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and right now we're going through the portion that is describing the letter to the church at Thyatira, actually addressed to the elder there, to the elders, I want you to understand that uh, this is an important message for us. We are like, it's like I said before, if the shoe fits, we must wear it. If the messages to this church apply to us, we must also apply these things to us. Now, there is one basic lesson I want you to receive today. The Lord expects us to be intolerant of teachers and doctrines that promote idolatry and immorality. You see, the word tolerance has been used a lot in our society in the past decade, in the past few years. Sometimes tolerance is actually a, a good thing, and sometimes tolerance is a bad thing. But either good or bad, Tolerance is important. We must be tolerant when God wants us to be tolerant, but we must also be intolerant when he says, do not tolerate that. We should allow many things, and I'm going to call it like this, we should allow many things that are indifferent. And that's a strange word, I know. But what I mean by that is that things that are indifferent to God when it comes to morality, there are many things in our lives that we can choose to do or choose not to do because they're neither moral, they're neither bad nor good. And we have that liberty to choose. 
but we must ask for wisdom and discernment to know what things are indifferent. There are voices today that are going to be heard over the radio, over the you know, TV, over the internet, and these voices are going to say, you need to be tolerant of this. A good person would be tolerant of that. And yet, these things are not indifferent. They have moral character to them. They have at their heart things that are either good or bad. And God wants us to make that discernment. And he is telling us that it is important for us to be tolerant when we should be and intolerant when we should be. When it comes to tolerating idolatrous behavior and immoral behavior in order to have peace with the world, the Lord wants us to be intolerant of these teachers and of their teachings and those that promote them. He calls us to intolerance in that time. So that's the main idea. That's the real message that you are to receive today. Now, last week we talked about Pergamum, the letter addressed to the people at Pergamus. The main message was this. The church must not be enslaved to worldly gain. Remember what we said about Balaam? Also, compromise with the world will be the church's undoing. We must not compromise with sin. There are going to be dangers that the church is going to endure, and these can come from outside the church, such as a Balaam trying to curse them, or influential government or influential societies that want to bring down the church by actually cursing us. But there's also danger from within where we are not discerning false prophets, false teaching, such as those that were those of the Nicolaitans. And so we have dangers outside and dangers from within. And we must be able to not compromise. If we do not do that, then Christ said, I will come and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. That's the word of God. And we don't want Christ to fight against us. Now, today we're looking at the letter given to the people at Thyatira. And these are going to be verses 9 through 17. Now, most of my observations are going to be within those verses. I actually only have one practical application today, and it will have to do with intolerance. And so, starting in verse number one, it talks about, um, you know, to the people of Thyatira. So, let me give you a brief background about this particular city. Thyatira is the same modern city of Akisar. Now, you may not know who that, what that is. It's not a real big city. But this particular place, back in the day of, this, of the writing of this epistle, was 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. Now, if you had a map and you could look at the cities, the way they were arranged, they were arranged kind of in a horseshoe shape, where we started on the left-hand side, went up the coast, and now we're coming back down again toward inland, a little bit more inland. This particular city is not on the coast. It is smaller than the other cities we looked at, and it's comprised mainly of blue-collar workers. I'd like to just say this before we get started. I can identify with the people from Thyatira more than these other cities. And um, some of you know what I do for a living. I don't preach for a living. I don't. I am an IT person. However, technically, I'm not a blue-collar person. But you see, I haven't been like that. I've only been doing this for a short 25 years. 
Before that, I lived my life like most everyone else in this country. My family are blue-collar people. My dad did nothing but drive truck his whole life, and he was a member of the Teamsters. Now, the reason I mention that is because most of the people in Thyatira are member of trading guilds. They're like unions, and it's important that we understand this because um, the trade unions that are going to be in Thyatira, they require that those who that are members of those unions, they give homage and worship to particular gods that are going to help them in their trades. Now, I don't know about you, but my, all of my experience with unions today is that when you're a member of the union, they more or less want their way, um, and they usually get their way. I can remember certain situations that are, you know, my father was a shop steward. I don't know if you know what that means, but that means he represents the people that work at his place. And if you ever heard jokes about uh, Jimmy Hoffa, you know, the older ones know what I'm talking about. Jimmy Hoffa was the head of the Teamsters Union. And when you don't do what the union says, well, then they'll never find your body. That's the type of power that unions can have today. But I'm sure that it's the same type of power that the unions had back then. Now, Thyatira was never a strong military or political power. It didn't have a position up on a mountain. It didn't have cliffs or it didn't have a sea coast in which to protect it. And so it was never a place where... Uh, you could say, well, let's go to Thyatira where we can be protected. No, it was actually a small place in the middle uh, between two large valleys that would just happened to be on main roads of trade. And so blue collar people were there and took advantage of the trade routes. And they were uh, many people that, that just simply were everyday bakers and painters and tanners, tailors, potters, workers of linen and wool, and, and workers in metal. It was, the working in metal was very important to the people of Thyatira, chiefly copper. If you recall, there was a woman that, uh, that the Apostle Paul met in Philippi. This woman's name was Lydia. She was from Thyatira. She was a seller and a producer of what's called purple, which is a dye made from, uh, if, I'm, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, made from some kind of sea creature you know, like a, a shrimp or something like that. Uh, but this was a very expensive dye. And it was used to, um, uh, to sell to very wealthy people, you know, people. But she was no doubt a member of a trade guild. But she no longer lived there. I don't know if Lydia ever moved back, but you see, she became a Christian hearing the gospel. And no doubt, if she had gone back to Thyatira, the unions or the guilds would require that she would give homage to the gods that would produce, uh, shall we say, the gods are favorable to their trade. And so it is important for us to understand that when these Christians became uh, uh, aware that they would have to not be involved in the eating of sacrifices given to these gods, and especially in participating in the worship to these idols that would involve sexual immorality, they would have to stop that behavior. And as soon as they did, their livelihoods would be endangered. They would be kicked out of the union 
and then they would have no way of making a living. They could not feed their families. And not only would they be kicked out of their unions, they would then be community, the community would shun them. So this is not a small thing for them. This is not something that we can say like today. Well, just live and let live. Everyone should be able to allow us to, to believe what we believe. But that's not the way it's always been. And it's not the way it's going to be in many places. So the temptation to tolerate what the guilds needed them to do was very great. Someone could actually come into the congregation and say, is it that important that we should deny what the unions are requiring? They just want us to offer some sacrifice and then involve ourselves in the worship. We don't even have to mean it. We could just give them lip service. We could just do these type of things. We can tolerate it. We can do this so that we can at least feed our families. Isn't it right that we should be able to feed our families? Well, there were people in the church there that were teaching this. And the Lord described one of them as Jezebel. Now, I'm going to assume that this teacher was a female. This is a female name. And so it's very odd to me that there is a person that is actually a member of the congregation that is teaching that they should tolerate what is required of them by the world that they should go ahead and give respect or to tolerate the, the worship of idols or to tolerate the sexual immorality that's involved in worshiping these idols. And this is going to be the major um, reproof that the Lord has. That's the background of the city of Thyatira. So let's begin by verses, uh, verses uh, you know, one by one. Let's begin in verse number 18, and we'll read that, and I'll make some observations. <clears throat> Verse number 18 of chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, as before, he addresses the church um, by, by way of the pastor. He is going to be addressing the elder or the leaders. But even though he's talking to the elders, you should know that the elder has every intention of passing all this on to the congregation. He is being instructed to help his people this way. The letter, is addressed to the, uh, the letter is addressed to the pastor. But the Lord describes himself as he was seen in chapter 1. Remember how the, uh, John had a vision of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it starts off with this, the Son of God. Now, he is no, he is, the Lord is not described as the Son of God uh, in the book of the Revelation that many times. This is a very rare occasion. He is described as the Son of God, especially to the people of Thyatira. I believe that he does this for this one reason, that these people were very sensitive and tender to the, um, to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a really tender reminder that they are to um, listen because they have, they're going to receive a very unique and wonderful, you know, not an admonition, but an encouragement. And so this is going to be a very powerful reminder and encouragement to actually improve their theology and their teaching, because this is where they're lacking. Remember Ephesus, they were very good teachers, had excellent theology, but they cooled down in their love to Christ. And here we have a people that love the Lord Jesus Christ strongly, but they're lacking in their doctrine and in their teaching. They're actually tolerating some heresies. 
So we have the Lord Jesus Christ with flames, with eyes, with flame of fire. And this implies this, that nothing is hidden from the sight of our Lord. When the Lord looks into our church, he sees everything. There is nothing hidden. All the hearts, all the minds are completely open to him. His vision can be penetrating and thorough. He sees the hearts and minds, especially of his own people. His feet are like burnished bronze. This is a good description for those that work in metal. Because burnished means bright and shining. It means that it's been thoroughly purged with fire. And all the, uh, all the impurities are out. And it shines very brightly, very beautifully, but very strong. Bronze is, is an alloy of copper and tin. And it comes together and it makes an even better, harder metal. And so this is the Lord who goes wherever he wants to go within his church. His feet are made of bronze. His path is bright and his path is easy to follow if you follow justice and righteousness and holiness. This is where his path leads. And it's always easy for the one who loves Christ to follow him in this way. He leads his place and he leads his people in the way of truth. And no one can hide this path from them. When God shows us his way, no one can keep his people from following him. Revelation 2.19 I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. Notice how the Lord lists these out very, uh, very lovingly. The love that they have, the faith that they have, the service, the patient endurance. These are a great accommodation. That is, a commendation to these people. And now he goes beyond what the Ephesians did. He said that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, when you started off good, you did even better. Your love is greater. Your faith is stronger. Your service is real and, and, and does good things. And you have patiently endured and it's getting better and better. Compared to the Ephesian church, we see that they excelled in their service. But this is where the Lord comes back and says, but you have lacked, you have done something wrong. Let's go to verse number 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food offered sacrifice to idols. Now this is most, most probably where the union trail or the union guilds come into play because this is where uh, a, a group of people would say if you want to make leather goods if you want to make brass goods if you want to feed your family just a normal life then you're going to have to also give service to the gods that provide you this and you'll have to make a sacrifice you'll have to involve in religious service that will involve sexual immorality. And this Jezebel, and if you don't know who Jezebel is, Jezebel was the queen of Ahab. She was a princess of a coastal city that worshipped Baal, and she influenced Ahab greatly and caused him to fall into this sin of worshipping Baal. She was an evil woman, and she seduced this king into worshipping Baal instead of instead of the Almighty God. And now we have another Jezebel, a name that Christ himself gives this teacher. And it is obvious that the reproof is this, you have tolerated her. 
Now, that's different than being approving of her, isn't it? But tolerance is one step away from approving. To tolerate this type of behavior is something that looks like this. We cannot preach against it. We cannot take a stand against it. But the Lord says, do not tolerate this. You have tolerated that woman, Jezebel. Now, in order to preach the gospel effectively, we must preach against sin. If we do not preach against sin, then the gospel has no value because sinners will not see the value of Christ. They will not be convicted of their sin. We must not provide a silent approval to sin. That will bring the church into compromise. This, this is what the church needs today. We need to have a convicting authority in our community. We need to be able to preach against what is truly wrong, strongly, clearly, and without apology. We cannot be hamstrung by social justice, but only by true justice. She calls herself a prophetess. Notice that God does not call her that. Notice that the church does not call her that. Many people are self-proclaimed teachers and preachers. Many people just stand up and they say, I'm going to uh, give you some good advice from the Lord. But I'll tell you what. The Lord has his people. He calls them. And he gives them an unction of his spirit to teach and an understanding. The teacher, this teacher, obviously had some respect from the congregation. This teacher also had some influence in the congregation. There are going to be churches that want to be broad-minded. They want to be inclusive. They want to allow to have other voices heard so that they can be unbiased and unbigoted. However, when any voice is heard that is not called of God to preach and teach, and that they are not biblical, but rather pragmatic. Do you know what that word means? It's not a bad word. You, you can be pragmatic and still do good things. But pragmatic means you have to be creative in the way you implement something. Sometimes it works this way, sometimes it works that way. That's being pragmatic. But when a church becomes pragmatic in the way it preaches the gospel, we cannot say, well, preaching against sin is good sometimes, but sometimes it's good not to preach against sin. No, it isn't. We cannot be pragmatic in that way. We must always be faithful to the gospel. That is our calling and that is our duty. And when the outside forces want us to tolerate idolatrous behavior, immoral behavior, then we have to draw that line and say we cannot tolerate that. We cannot allow any silent approving of it. Verse number 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. She's given time to repent. Isn't that characteristic of a loving God, giving patience and long-suffering? Now, this has to do with teachers within the church. That means that this is an option for that church to discipline someone who is an improper teacher, a teacher that wants the congregation to tolerate sin. Give them time. There must be some patience. 
But when they refuse to repent, when Jezebel refuses and actually abuses the kindness and mercy given to her, she then mistakes the patience for weakness or the patience and long-suffering for approval. She stubbornly continues in her sexual immorality and her deeds will seduce others to do the same. They must have discipline in this case. She should be disciplined. She should be excommunicated. Verse number 22. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Now this particular bed that she's thrown into may sound like she is an adulteress, and this may be a bed of immorality, but this is instead a sickbed. This is a place where God is going to throw her for judgment. She is involved in idolatry. She is involved in sexual immorality. But she will reap what she sows, and she will have all the things that are, that are plagues that are mentioned in this book. And she will be uh, caused by God to receive judgment. She will have judgment brought upon her. The Lord will also destroy those who subvert the gospel and heap dishonor upon Christ, Christ through any type of idolatry and debauchery. God will do the same to any of our Jezebels, to any Jezebel in any of his churches. The sickbed is not where the sin committed is committed, but it is a place where God will judge her. He will judge her works, and all are going to see the effects of it. The Lord will bring judgment upon those that follow her. Those who continue to succumb to her seduction will be thrown into great tribulation. This tribulation will be their opportunity to repent. So, if you are caused, or shall we say, if you are tempted to be tolerant of sin, and God does not judge you immediately, consider that his patience and long-suffering, but do not think that he doesn't expect you to repent. Jezebel's children are the ones that are actually followers of her teaching. Jezebel's children are the ones who are the followers of her teaching. Disciples of Jezebel are going to produce the fruit of her doctrine. Death. We shall see that these false teachers will be known by their fruits as taught by our Lord. How do you know what a false teacher is like? You shall know them by their fruits. And those that follow her shall have the fruits of the flesh. Those that follow the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ shall have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Kindness, love, long-suffering, gentleness. The fruits of the Spirit. The love of the truth. Not a tolerance of sin. The burning eyes of Christ is going to search every one of them. He will know their hearts and their minds. We shall know who the true teachers are by their fruits. Their followers will produce the same fruit. The fruit of the Spirit only comes from the Holy Spirit. There is no duplication of this work. The devil cannot make someone a good, holy person because he does not desire that, nor is he able to do that. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that in a person. Verse number 24. To the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, 
who have not learned what some would call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Now this is an amazing statement, is it not? The Lord is addressing those who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. In other words, there are those who hear the teaching, we should tolerate this type of sin. But instead they say, we should not be tolerating this. We should not. If you are among those, God is saying, keep doing that. I can only imagine what these deep things of Satan are, but I found that they are probably at the very heart of these false doctrines of Jezebel. The willingness to tolerate immorality of this type, to tolerate the, the replacement of God to worship idols. Apparently, this is something that, that happened in this church. But we must also recognize that it's all around us now. It truly is. We'll get to that in my, in my um, practical application. The Lord says that he will not replace, or not place on us unnecessary burdens, but he says that if you continue your first works, if you have surpassed your first works and have grown in grace, if you have resisted the seduction of false, pro, of false doctrine, the Lord bids you to carry on with no additional reproof. Only hold fast until I come. That's verse 25. That is what he requires of these people. Hold fast until I come. He will not give us additional requirements, but to simply hold fast to the faith to the end. We must be watchful to the end, and we must be steady to the end. That is what the Lord wants. Now, we get into the, to the part of the letter where he says, I'm going to give you promises. I'm going to give you these things that are, that are good to the one who conquers. This is verse number 26. To the one who conquers and keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That's a wonderful promise, is it not? He also tells, he says after this verse, that he's going to give them the morning star. But let's take a look at this. This authority that the believer has is connected uniquely to the duty and the obligations that we have to our Lord. Our authority over the nations is tightly bound up in the Great Commission. We have been commissioned to preach the gospel to every creature, to every people group. The gospel itself has the authority of Christ uniquely woven into it. Now listen to the Great Commission. I'll read it to you in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Christ alone has, was worthy to accomplish the justification of sinners. He has the authority to save believers. Christ alone was worthy to bring about the accomplishment of the atonement and has clear given us a clear requirement to command all people to repent of their sin and to believe in him alone for salvation. He has done it. He has commissioned us to preach it. Do you see the authority? Now, even though we have been given this authority over all nations, there will be rebels. There will be people that say, I will not have this man rule over me. They will hear the gospel and they will turn their backs. Unbelievers will continue to live in rebellion against God until Christ either conquers their hearts by the Holy Spirit, or they will meet God on the day of judgment. They will not yield 
to the shepherd's staff for guidance from the word. They will only yield to the rod of iron. And with this, we're going to go on to the next verse. And this is where I'm going to tell you that this is my opinion. The next verse reads this. And he will rule over them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Now, just because I'm giving you my opinion doesn't mean that I don't believe it. I believe it to be true, but I just don't, I cannot tell you with a clear conscience that this interpretation of it is exactly what it means. But I believe I'm right. While this current world remains in darkness until the Lord returns, the authority of the Christian to rule over unbelievers will be with a rod of iron. And let me explain what that means. The phrase rod of iron implies that there is a standard of justice and it will have jurisdiction over lawbreakers without their consent. You see, we preach the gospel and believers, they have, they have tenderness to the, to the touching of the, of, of the shepherd's staff. They say, the staff says, go this way, go this way. And we know the tenderness of God. But there are those that resist this. However, even now, men will use justice and righteousness to rule. This world uses God's standards many, many times. But I want to tell you that this is God's law. It is still his law. It is not theirs. All ruling bodies of authority, governments, councils, juries, even, even when these bodies of governing uh, people are made of unbelievers, they will acknowledge that true justice and righteousness is a worthy standard for all societies. Mm -hmm. They say that. Mm -hmm. They try to bring that about. But these standards do not belong to them. They did not make them up. Mm -hmm. They come from God, not man. Mm -hmm. True justice, true righteousness comes from God alone. Mm -hmm. He is the wellspring of all that is good. There is none good but God. And when there is a good standard, it traces back to His holiness. Mm -hmm. It is His law. Within the gospel itself, you have the law of God that pricks the hearts of men, that convicts them of their sin. That is from God and God alone. Even in the courts and judges of this land, when a man is convicted of murder, in courtrooms of sinful men, they are being convicted of a crime against God's law. God says you shall not kill. Whether they acknowledge God's law or not, God's law will always remain God's law, and its glory belongs to no one else. Mm -hmm. The glory of the law belongs to God alone. And this law is over men, mm -hmm. and it will rule them with a rod of iron, even though they don't like it. Mm -hmm. But that law still convicts them of sin. Mm -hmm. It convicts their hearts and mind, even when it doesn't come from the gospel. When the law of God has done its work in the hearts of men, and that is, it convicts men of their sin. It truly becomes a springboard of the gospel in making the message of salvation valuable in the sight of sinners. No man will seek a physician unless he is sick. No man will seek salvation unless he's been told he's wrong and he's a sinner. Even in the world's courthouses and their juries, they use righteousness as best they can. But if it's truly right, it comes from God alone. The gospel alone, as authored by our Christ alone, will rule over all men one way or the other. God has commissioned his only begotten son to accomplish this work of the gospel. Christ has received his authority from his father. Him alone, after accomplishing the work of the gospel, 
Christ then commissions his church to preach it. Mm -hmm. We're here to preach justice and righteousness, and those who break it will be met with judgment. But there is mercy and grace available in Christ. Mm -hmm. The gospel will either break the hearts of men in repentance and faith, Mm -hmm. or one day the gospel will stand in witness against them on the day of judgment. Mm -hmm. It is the believer who now has that authority, the authority and responsibility to preach the gospel to every person. Mm -hmm. To the believer, it is the staff of our great shepherd. Mm -hmm. But to the unbeliever, it is a rod of iron that will require payment of every penny, whether in this life or the next. Mm -hmm. In Revelation 28, we read this. I will give him the morning star. Do you see the promises? You shall rule over the nations, but now I will give you the morning star. I'll read you a verse from Revelation 22, verse 16, and you be the judge. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He says, I will give you the morning star. God has promised that our exceeding great reward is him. Mm -hmm. This is our great reward. Mm -hmm. What better promise is there? Mm -hmm. There can be no better promise than to receive Christ, Mm -hmm. to have Christ fully formed in a heart. Mm -hmm. There can be no better reward. It is the promise of those in Thyatira. And of course, it is our promise. If the shoe fits, we wear it. Mm -hmm. The last verse, he who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray that we have these ears, that we may hear what God says, especially to our church. Mm -hmm. Now, the practical application I have for you today is but one. It is a call for us to be tolerant. That is, when I say it's a call, the the world is now giving us this type of message. Mm. The world is trying to enchant us. It is calling to us. The world is calling for allies and friends to remove long-established cultural norms and mores. The world is wanting us to call what was bad good. The world is hoping that we will hear this call and come to the rescue of those who have been marginalized and held in low esteem. That sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? To help those who have been marginalized and help those who are in low esteem. It sounds good on the surface, but it all depends on who these people are. The world is calling the church to tolerate and to move in a direction of approving sexual perversions of all sorts. Mm -hmm. Of all sorts. You may think that the ancient worship of these days in Thyatira are long gone. Or the times of the uh, wanderings in in the wilderness and when they came into the promised land. Where Moloch and the Baals were worshipped. Where Moloch said, I want your children to be sacrificed to me. We may think those are long gone days, but they're not. Our society is now calling us to be tolerant of the death of children within the, within the wounds of their own mothers. Mm-hmm. Our church now is being called to be tolerant to those who live in sexual immorality and even seduce our own children mm-hmm. to become like them. Mm-hmm. We cannot be tolerant of this. Mm-hmm. We must preach against mm-hmm. this type of idolatry. We must preach against this type of sexual immorality. They are targeting children for sexual abuse. And we cannot stand and say, let us just live and let live. Mm -hmm. We must preach against sin. Mm -hmm. The world 
wants our pulpits to be filled with their allies and participants of these abominations. Abominations that the Lord clearly hates. He is not ambiguous when he says it. We must make our voices hear, heard against sin of all stripes and types. To let, let me make this clear. All people, all sinners, are welcome to come here and hear the gospel. All of them, no matter what their sins, no matter what they've done, they are welcome here to hear the gospel. But make no doubt of this. They are here, if they, if they come here, they will be told to repent of their sins, to come to Christ. They must be told the truth or else, or else we're not being friends to them. They must be told the truth. They must be saved from sin. They must ne we must never allow ourselves to approve of their sin, to give them a false peace, to give them a false sense of self-esteem, to make them feel better about themselves in the world. We must tell them what their sin is so that they can repent and be friends with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the world must know this. The world is under the rule of the gospel, but if they rebel, they will have to face that witness against them on the day of judgment. Oh, let your hearts be ruled by the gospel now. Mm -hmm. Feel this tender touch of the shepherd's staff on you. Mm -hmm. Because if you were living rebellion against God, the God's law is a rod of iron. It will not bend. Mm -hmm. It will not have mercy. There is only mercy in Christ. Mm -hmm. So in conclusion, the Lord says this. We are to be intolerant of teachers and doctors, doctrines that promote idolatry and immorality. Mm -hmm. We cannot be just tolerant of it. We must voice ourselves against it. The Lord is not expecting us to be at war with anyone if possible. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But we must choose God's part over the world's part. We must be at peace with God first. This will always put us in a position that will put us at war with the world. He has told us so. So let us expect it. Let us be strong for our God. Preach His truth effectively, truthfully, without apology. But I hope that these people come to our congregation. I hope they will hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. I hope that they repent of their sins. Mm -hmm. We're not saying stay away. We say come. Come and take of the gospel freely. Mm -hmm. Come and listen to the great grace of our God. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we now find ourselves in the place of those people in Thyatira. We are being called by the world and by our culture to tolerate sin. So, Father, give us your word. Give us an understanding of your gospel so clearly that we will never be fooled by Jezebel, that she will never seduce us into tolerating that which is sin, that which is immoral, that which is compromising. Oh, we, we pray, Lord, give us doctrinal purity. But make us like the Thyatirans. Make us like them who exceed in their works even greater at the end. Help us to love you more like they did. But Father, keep us pure. Give us the doctrine that will keep us on that good path. Help us to be experts in justice and righteousness. And help us to embrace and to love and to be grateful for the great mercy and grace that you have toward us. Mm -hmm. May we be very loving 
to those who seek you out. And may we always be faithful to preach your truth. We pray that our hearts would increase more and more in our works toward you. We pray this in our Lord's name.